and welcome to the Legal Edition. I'm your host, Attorney Mary Kay Alloyan. This program today is another in our series on abuse, domestic violence, and sexual assault. Our show topic today, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and abuse survivors and veterans of war, conquering the enemy, the memory within. Our guest is Dr. Roger Pittman. He is a professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and a psychiatrist at Massachusetts General Hospital. He served as a psychiatrist in the U.S. Navy during the Vietnam era and later served for 30 years in the Department of Veterans Affairs. Dr. Pittman is the recipient of the International Society of for Traumatic Stress Studies Award for its standing scientific achievement in the field of PTSD and its Lifetime Achievement Award. His work in the research of PTSD spans more than 25 years, and he has created more than 100 peer-reviewed publications on PTSD and greater than 200 publications in general psychiatric and medical literature. Over the years, he has appeared on a number of media outlets, including 60 Minutes, sharing his research on the causes and treatment of PTSD. Let's welcome Dr. Roger Pittman. Welcome, Dr. Pittman. Thank you. Now, our show topic today is Conquering the Enemy, the Memory Within. But a lot of folks aren't really sure what exactly is PTSD. Mm -hmm. Can you describe that? Well, PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. PTSD has been recognized for thousands of years. It appeared in the ancient literature. It also uh, appeared in uh, the context of war in various forms, including soldier's heart in the Civil War, shell shock in World War I, combat fatigue in World War II, and delayed stress or post-Vietnam syndrome. And what are the symptomologies of, of these PTSD symptoms? PTSD became official in our diagnostic manual in 1980. An important development that led to that was when it was recognized that the same mental disorder could result from different kinds of traumatic events. Specifically, there was uh, the uh, Vietnam veterans were trying to be recognized for their, uh, the adverse uh, mental health consequences of combat at the same time that there was something which was called rape trauma syndrome that was being investigated. And mm -hmm. when it was discovered that the kinds of symptoms that result from combat and the kind of symptoms that result from, that can result from being raped were similar, it was, uh, the decision was made to organize it into a unitary diagnostic entity, PTSD, that could result from any traumatic event, any event that uh, produces a sudden emotional shock that creates uh, intense fear, anxiety, uh, or helplessness. I know there's been um, symptomology that has heart palpitations, depression, recurrent nightmares, sense of ongoing dread, even suicidal thoughts and drug and alcohol dependence. Well, all of those are concomitants of PTSD. They would not be the central features. Mm -hmm. The central symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder is the recurrence of an unwanted memory of the mm -hmm. traumatic event. Mm -hmm. That can happen in nightmares. It can happen during the day. If it becomes so intense that the person thinks they're back in the situation, it's called a flashback. These memories can be uh, triggered by reminders of 
of the traumatic event. For example, a woman who, who was raped in a certain part of town, if she happens to be walking through that part of town, may find that she breaks into a sweat and her heart starts beating. You mentioned palpitations. Mm -hmm. That she starts having physical symptoms as well as uh, intense uh, anxiety. So the core symptom of PTSD are these unwanted memories that can come out of the blue or that could be triggered by reminders. Now, what about repeat trauma? Victims who have been locked, locked away, uh, they've been abducted, or domestic violent victims who have been repeatedly brutalized by their, their uh, abuser. What about those folks? We don't really think about PTSD as a cumulative disorder. We think of PTSD as results from a specific traumatic events. A person, usually if a person has had many traumatic events, you can ask them which is the one that stands out most in their mind, and most of the time they'll be able to tell you. Now, a person can have several instances of PTSD. If, if, a, if, a, if a child is abused several times, they can, uh, they can have PTSD from each of those events. And they can all, it, can, it can merge into, into one general syndrome, but there has to be a discrete traumatic event. If a, if, if, if a veteran says, if you ask a veteran what was traumatic about being in Iraq and all they can say is, well, the entire experience, that's not likely to be PTSD. Usually they can pick out mm -hmm. something terrible that happened to them as the source of their symptoms. Mm -hmm. And let's talk about what happens to these, uh, these victims um, who become survivors. What happens to them? How do they adapt in life? I'm sure you see a lot of this in your practice. Sure. The problem that they face is not being able to live in the present because they're living in the past. Because they're having unwanted memories of the past, they are preoccupied, they're having negative emotions associated with what happened to them, they are overly watchful and alert for bad things to happen. Hypervigilant. Hypervigilance, yes. They're having trouble sleeping. When a patient in treatment gets to the point where they start living in the present rather than in the past, we know they're getting better. Mm -hmm. And what percentage of, of, of those that experience this PTSD, um, soldier at war, what percentage of these uh, soldiers will experience It's very that? hard to give a percentage because there are no such thing as two, sim as two identical traumatic events. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, some events are more likely to cause PTSD than others. Uh, for example, being uh, held captive, being a hostage and, ter and subject to torture, most people in that circumstance will wind up with PTSD at the one end of the spectrum. Rape, about 50% of women who have been raped develop post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. At the other end of the spectrum, you could be involved in a hurricane mm -hmm. and you can uh, be frightened that, you're, that, you're, that you know, your house is going to collapse. Uh, but uh, unless it really does collapse on you, the chance of you developing PTSD from that would be um, far lower. So the general figure that is thrown out is around 20% of people who develop, who experience a traumatic event get PTSD. But it's very variable depending upon mm -hmm. the event. Now, what are some of the treatment options for PTSD? Well, the current uh, treatment of choice is something called cognitive behavioral therapy which is a form of psychotherapy. It consists of, it, there are two types of cognitive behavioral therapy. There is exposure therapy, which involves having the patient during the therapeutic hour 
relive the traumatic event in the uh, therapist's office to the point that they desensitize to it. Is that successful, usually? Uh, let me tell you about the other kind of, oh, sure. of exposure therapy, then I'll tell you about the success rate. <laughs> right. the, I mean, so the other kind of cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. The other kind of cognitive behavioral therapy is something called, uh, well, cognitive processing therapy, in which uh, an attempt is made by the therapist to challenge what we call cognitions, which are thoughts, mm -hmm. dysfunctional or unhelpful thoughts that keep them stuck in the, in the past, in the traumatic event. For example, uh, it's all my fault. Right. Uh, or that, that would be an example of a, well, victims, of a dysfunctional uh, thought. Yeah, victims of violence always tend to blame themselves more times that, than they not. They do, that's true. The battered that's, wife. They do, that's true. The abused victim. That's right. But uh, for, about, for about the two forms of cognitive behavior therapy, the literature suggests that the overall treatment benefit is about 50%. Although over time it tends to decrease, so that uh, it is not the it's not a cure. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. The next level of treatment is various forms of drugs, which also do produce some degree of benefit, not as much as cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. The uh, problem with drugs is that you have to keep taking them uh, in order to get the effect, and if you stop them, you may have a, a relapse. Whereas with cognitive behavioral therapy, hopefully, you don't have to go to therapy every week for the rest mm -hmm. of your life. What about the combination of cognitive behavioral therapy and the medication? It may be a little bit extra helpful, but not that much, honestly. Uh, we still have, it's still, we really don't have anything that consistently produces better than 50% improvement. So there's a lot of room for new treatments. So the idea is to, to get rid of these memories by replacing them with new memories. And I've, I've read um, some of the literature. Tell us about your work um, with um, advanced cases of PTSD. Let me tell you, let me just answer something you said a minute ago. Uh, it's unlikely, and I'm not sure it's entirely desirable that we want people to not be able to remember anymore what happened to them, to get rid of the memories. What we want to do is to modify the memories uh, or, or weaken their emotional strength. And there are various ways of doing that. Uh, exposure therapy attempts to desensitize and weaken them. Uh, cognitive processing therapy attempts to add to the memory new ways of thinking about things that are less harmful to the person. Because I was reading in the literature about adrenaline and, and that in its role. Yes. Let's discuss how that plays into sure. this whole paradigm. Sure. Uh, well, adrenaline is a, uh, a stress hormone. And uh, we know from animal work uh, resulting from uh, someone by the name of James McGaw, uh, as well as work in, uh, early work in, uh, in the Netherlands, that uh, stress hormones, especially adrenaline will strengthen memories so that this is a theory that I devised for PTSD about 20 years ago. Uh, my, my theory is that at the time of a traumatic event, there is too much of an outpouring of stress hormones. There's too much adrenaline flowing in your body and that adrenaline acts to burn the memory into your brain. For example, an, a metaphor I'm, I'm fond of uh, evoking is if you... Uh, if you were coming to the studio today, let's say you were walking to the studio and you decided to take a new route, and along that new route you ran into a, an alligator, and the alligator was chasing you, and you're running as fast as you can, you're pouring out a lot of adrenaline right. to make you run faster. Mm -hmm. Now, at the same time, 
that adrenaline is acting in your brain to be burn in this memory. And there's an adaptive value uh, because it's not, if you go, if you try that same route again, the next time you might be gobbled up by the alligator. So, so it's useful, it's adaptive for you to remember, don't go on that route, there's an alligator there. Well, the adrenaline helps you strengthen that memory. I see. And now we are trying to use anti-adrenaline drugs. How does that work? To weaken memories. Oh. And is that, is that fruitful? Well, this is experimental work from our laboratory. When a memory is, for, for, when a, a trauma memory uh, is acquired, in order for it to be, to be lasting, it has to be consolidated. It's like the analogy would be that you have something in, random, in RAM in a computer, mm -hmm. and in order to save it, you put it on the hard, you save it to the hard drive. Right. That would be called consolidation. And uh, uh, adrenaline and its, and its cousin in the brain, noradrenaline, act to strengthen that consolidation. Now, recent research for the past 20 years has suggested that when a memory is reactivated, it is moved from long, from it is deconsolidated. It is moved out of the hard drive back into RAM, and at that point is vulnerable to being interfered with. Written and, over? Uh, weakened, it would be a better word. Uh, written over, perhaps. Uh, we, use, we are using propranolol, which is the anti-adrenaline drug, to try to weaken the strength of that memory. And we've had success in a number of studies, including uh, a major a tr uh, study that we published in the American Journal of Psychiatry a couple of years ago. We're still working on that. So, so the adrenaline helps to fix this memory, and the anti-adrenaline drug, the opposite. To weaken it, yes. To weaken it. Yes. And it showed promise. Now, who, who are your study participants? Have they been veterans? Oh, over the years. Well, yeah. I, I did 30 years in the VA. I was, I was in the Navy and 30 years in the VA, so I really cut my teeth on Vietnam veterans and subsequently on uh, Gulf War veterans. Uh, since I have been out of the VA, I've dealt with uh, PTSD mainly in civilians from all sorts of events. A lot of accidents. Uh, you mentioned child abuse child as a abuse. subject of your, of your show. That's an mm -hmm. important one. Uh, adult sexual trauma and rape in, mm -hmm. uh, in adults. Uh, various, you know, job work mm -hmm. accidents on mm -hmm. the job. Mm -hmm. Plane crashes. And one of the things that uh, has come into vogue is the, uh, the immigrant children. And um, there's been reports of some of them who have been separated from their parents also been exhibiting PTSD. If, if, if in order for a child to develop PTSD, like, like an adult, they have to have an acutely shocking event. What, would separation from a parent? Uh, uh, I think that could be in some children. And it not could another. be in some. So it is because there's been report to that. Um, what? Who are the vulnerable? Who makes up the vulnerable population? Is it predominantly women or? Women are uh, two times more likely to get PTSD th than men. Mm -hmm. uh, so women are more vulnerable. We're not sure why that is. It, I'm sure it has to do with something with the biological difference between men and women in the brain, but we haven't put our finger on that yet. Uh, people who have had a past history of, uh, of PTSD or anxiety or, or depressive disorders uh, are more vulnerable. Uh, we are identifying certain genes that make people more vulnerable. On the other hand, uh, there are protective factors as well. Having a good social support system is a, 
is an important protective factor against developing PTSD. Having loved ones, friends, and family to talk to. Now, one of the one of the things that come to mind with your de um, description is the domestic violence victim. Yes. They have to flee what the, perhaps may be the only support system they may know as, as dysfunctional as it is. So th that part of the element, the support system, is not potentially there for you some mean of their these. Spouse. The spouse who yeah. is. Yeah. Well, it's even worse in it's even worse in children because their support system is their parents, right? So if if they're if they're if it's their parents who are abusing them, and they're their support system, then they get a double whammy. So what do you do? These children come to you and and work with you to. I'm not a child psychiatrist. I don't see children. Many adults come to me with uh, trauma resulting from childhood, but children also get treated by child psychiatrists with PTSD. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, can someone get over PTSD just by passage of time? Uh, the usual course of PTSD, fortunately, is gradual improvement over time. I don't think that uh, people ever 100% get over their traumatic event, but they certainly can improve a great deal. And as I said, if they get to the point where they're living in the present rather than the past, then they've accomplished a lot. I read there's been different theories about um, the brain and the plasticity of it is, tends to be the new, uh, I, I guess, ideation of of where we're at with psychotherapy and brain analysis. Mm. Is, that, mm. is that so? Well, plasticity is an, uh, the, uh, plasticity means the ability of the brain to change, to change both its structure and its function. Mm -hmm. And over the past several decades, basic animal and human research has shown us how that the, that the brain is much more plastic than we originally thought. In other words, more adaptive? More adaptive, yes. Uh, and that is the basis for our use of a propranolol in, when, we, when we say that uh, it used to be thought that once the traumatic memory or once a memory, a fear memory, was acquired, it was there in an un immutable, unchanging form for the rest, for the rest of time. Mm -hmm. Now we understand that when the memory is reactivated, it becomes, by, by remembering it, it becomes plastic, susceptible to either the provision of new information, new learning, uh, or, the inter or, in or uh, interference uh, by drugs such as propranolol and other drugs. Mm -hmm. What about memory, the ret memory retention? Um, I've read some literature that says sometimes memories can be changed. Um, they might remember something differently. Somebody might be in court testifying to something different than what they had said originally or what might have happened. That's right. Memories can change over time. Uh, one of the ways that memories can change is through suggestion. There's a phenomenon uh, that was hotly debated about 10 or, 15 or 20 years ago called uh, recovery of repressed memories. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it involved, uh, during the course of psychotherapy usually, regain the memory of having been usually sexually or physically abused, usually sexually abused by somebody in the family or mm -hmm. by an uncle or mm -hmm. a stepfather or something, or even a father. Uh, and uh, there was some question as to whether this was really a, a, a bona fide true memory or whether this is an idea that a misguided therapist planted into their brains into their minds during the course of the therapy, uh, like 
saying, uh, well, you know, people who, people who have your kind of symptoms have often been, been abused as a child. Maybe you were abused. And, and sometimes the patients recover memories that aren't true. Uh, that's, that's, that was a problem back then, and, and people who were innocent were accused. Uh, now, that doesn't mean to say that there aren't also maybe cases of, re, of, really, of really recovered memories. It really did happen. And uh, we really never have gotten to the point yet where we are able to tell the two apart. Uh, that was the same as it was 100 years ago when Sigmund Freud first hypothesized that uh, women who uh, developed hysteria had been sexually abused, uh, and then he changed his mind to the idea that women who uh, had hysteria had not been uh, really sexually abused, but they had uh, imagined it. So that has been an ongoing theme, um, which has not yet reached its final conclusion. But, but could that also be the basis for the problem that women are often not believed when they go to tell what happened to them, whether in a courtroom or or to the priest, to whoever, they're often not believed. Fortunately, we're getting a little bit past that now, I think. That I certainly so. has been a problem in the past, uh, where it was almost typical that uh, even your own family, you know, uncle, my uncle, you know, has been, uh, uncle Johnny has been, uh, you know, doing bad things with me, and, and then the reaction of the parents is, oh, Johnny, he's a wonderful guy, he would never do such a thing. Exactly. And fortunately, now we're learning enough about the true, the existence of post-traumatic stresses or resulting from events like that, and that these things do happen, that we're more open-minded uh, to uh, when a child reports that they've been abused. That doesn't mean that there might not be some children who also really weren't abused, but are mm -hmm. saying they were. And again, it's, it could be, it, 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 there are different possibilities. But fortunately, we've, we're moving beyond the past that, of automatically disbelieving children when they say they've been abused. Well, I think the Catholic Church, uh, what's happened with that, with all these children, well, now adults coming forward, um, there's certainly with cases of repressed memory there just so that they could function. Well, we're not sure about that one. They certainly have come forward with reports of uh, abuse by priests and by clergy. Uh, Typically, they don't report that it's been repressed. The typical person will say they remembered it all along, although they've kept it to themselves. Uh, the status of repression is uh, very much in debated still of, 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 uh, of traumatic memories. And hmm. you're treating these people with the psychotherapy and the, and the drugs, or just mostly? Well, we, are, we do research. Uh, our treatment consists of clinical studies where we try to do research. Mm -hmm. Yes, we are pursuing the use of propranolol as a way of attempting to weaken traumatic memory. Mm -hmm. And one of the things also that caught my attention was how um, the suggestion can alter memories. Yes. And they can alter them potentially in the family members of the victim the, who are told it didn't really happen. People are told, um, keep quiet about what's happening in this family. It didn't really happen. Um, people go along with these things. Well, you know, people don't want their boat to be rocked. Mm. Hmm? Yeah. It's easier to say, it's easier, rather than having to confront the bad uncle, it's easier to just say, oh, well, I don't really believe it happened. It's, it's easier for them, even though it may be wrong. What do you say to people that have been victimized? Is there a first line of help that they should seek? You mean before they develop PTSD or after yeah. they develop PTSD? Yeah, well, before they PTSD and... If it's too late, then after, what, what, what suggestions do you have? 
You mean if a child has really been sexually or physically abused yes. and is discovered to try to prevent them from getting PTSD? Yes. There may be a role for early cognitive behavioral therapy in preventing the development of PTSD. Uh, certainly uh, having an open mind about it and be willing to listen to what the child has to say. Mm -hmm. we, we have to, we, when it comes to people who are reporting uh, abuse events, either child abuse or adult events or accidents or whatever, we don't want to be, have, we don't want to have a closed attitude toward them and not want to listen to what they have to say. On the other hand, if they don't feel like talking about it, we don't want to jump in there and make them talk about it. That used to be called critical incident stress debriefing, and that was found could actually make people worse. We have to allow victims to talk about it as much as they want to. Uh, we, want, we, can ask, we can ask about it and give them the opportunity to talk, but we don't want to force people to uh, emote, you know, to mm -hmm. let it all hang out. I think, I think the most important thing is having a support system. That's very important. Uh, Whether it be family or a therapist or some sort of support system to help them through sure. this difficult sure. time. Sometimes they need to be removed from the situation. I think that's the very last resort, but sometimes it's necessary. Any final thoughts on the topic that you'd like to share? Well, we're still, um, we've got a long way to go in finding the best possible treatments. People can be helped. A lot of people uh, hesitate to step forward but uh, a lot of people don't get treatment because they don't know they have PTSD. So, and a lot, and more, uh, a lot of people get treatment even though they think they have PTSD because they don't think they can be helped. There is help available. It is effective, not 100%, but there are people who are capable of getting great benefits from it. And if you think you might have PTSD, you should speak up. Talk to your family doctor. Talk to your minister. Uh, see a psychiatrist or a psychologist. See what help might be available and try it. Mm -hmm. See if it works for you and try to remove yourself from the situation that caused it in the first place. Thank you, Dr. Pittman. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Roger Pittman, for sharing his research and opinions on the causes and treatment of PTSD among abuse survivors and veterans of war. I also want to thank you, our viewers, for tuning in. For more information on today's topic and our guest, visit The Legal Edition online at thelegaledition.com. As always, this information is for general educational purposes only. It is not to be construed or relied upon as legal, medical, or professional advice. Please consult a qualified practitioner as to your legal, medical, or professional needs. And don't forget, subscribe online, follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter.